Sentire Media. On the morning of April 30th, 1982, a crowd started to gather around a dark-colored Fiat 132 in Via Turba in Palermo. A body lay slumped in the front, the right foot sticking out of a window. Who is it? People started to ask. Police Commissioner Antonio Cassara whispered the answer to a young magistrate, Giovanni Falcone. It's Piola Torre. Falcone passed on the information to his friend and colleague, Paolo Borsellino. It's Piola Torre. He, in turn, passed it on to another magistrate, Rocco Chinnici. It's Piola Torre. None of the men seemed surprised. Within three years, two of the four men would also be dead. Within ten years, all of them would. Killed by the same mafia that had just killed the leader of the regional communist party, Pio La Torre. He was killed along with his friend and collaborator, Rosario Di Salvo, by a mafia hit team with a Singer 45 and a Thompson machine gun. It was the peak of Cosa Nostra's war against the state, the organization flexing its muscle, showing its brute strength. At the same time, it would also inadvertently and finally galvanize the institutions to equip themselves with the tools they needed to fight the Sicilian Mafia. Piola Torre had opposed the Sicilian Mafia in one way or another for all of his life. He was born on Christmas Eve 1927 in a district of Palermo known as Altarello di Baida to a poor farming family with four other children that had neither running water nor electricity. After the Second World War, his poor upbringing led him to develop a hate for social injustice and to join the Communist Party. The years between 1945 and 1950 in Sicily were characterized by the struggle of the poor farmers to see their rights recognized according to the recently passed Gullog Decree. This law, which bore the name of the agriculture minister at the time, set out a series of rights and more lands for farmers. Obviously, as history teaches us, the rich and powerful landowners were not pleased at all about this. So, out of exasperation, the farmers started to organize, thanks also to the trade unions and the Communist Party, the occupation of non-cultivated lands. At first, these occupations were cause for celebrations. But tensions soon rose, and on the 29th of October 1949, in a town called Melissa, in the southern Italian region of Calabria, violence broke out, and the authorities killed three people, including a woman and a child. On that same day, Pio La Torre married Giuseppina Zacca. The two would stay together until that fateful 1982. He later opted 
for a short honeymoon to head back to Palermo to organize the occupation of the lands in Sicily. This activity once again brought him face to face with the threat of the Sicilian Mafia after he had had to leave his original home and family due to the continued threats against him. Among the landowners were many mafiosi, such as the landowner of the Strasato estate, Luciano Liggio, who would rise to prominence in the organization and be one of those responsible for the violent bloodshed of the late 70s and early 80s. The period in which La Torre had started his political activity also coincided with the killing of various union leaders by the Mafia, such as Placido Rizzotto in Corleone, Calogero Cangelosi in Campo Reale, and Epifanio Leonardo Lipuma in Petralia. On the 10th of March 1950, La Torre was leading an occupation in the area of Bisacquino when the police showed up. Pio attempted to keep the situation under control and keep his comrades calm, but fighting soon broke out. Later in the evening, as groups of farmers were heading home, the group which included Pio were surrounded by police and arrested. La Torre was falsely accused by a certain Lieutenant Caserta of having beaten him with a stick. He remained in prison without trial until the 23rd of August of the following year. His first meeting with his wife, Giuseppina, a newborn baby, occurred after eight months in prison, with husband and wife having to stick their heads through bars and shouting across a corridor patrolled by prison guards. He spent a lot of time in isolation, in a cell that was two and a half by two meters, and developed a habit which would follow him in later days, observed by many party members during tense meetings, pacing nervously two and a half steps forward and then turning and taking two and a half steps back in the other direction. After 18 months in prison, he was found innocent and released. In the end, the campaign of occupation yielded little results, with only a few farmers managing to harvest what they had sown in the occupied lands. La Torre's activities continued, and in 1962 he was elected among the opposition and the Palermo City Council. The 50s and 60s are known in the history of the city as the years of the sack of Palermo. A time in which the mayor, Salvo Lima, known as the friend of friends for being a go-between for Cosa Nostra and the political establishment, declared that Palermo is beautiful, let's make it more beautiful, and proceeded to destroy vast stretches of nature and beaches, covering them with concrete. In a period of only four years, 4,205 building permits were issued. In a single month, 3,011 of them were issued to five pensioners who on paper were destitute. All public tenders went to a single company. Among the partners was Francesco Ciccio Vassallo, a man who became the most prolific contractor in Palermo, but could not even sign his own name. Another partner was, of course, the mayor himself, Salvo Lima. In a short period, 
every inhabitant of the city became surrounded by 295 square meters of concrete. The excuse was that housing was needed for the growing number of inhabitants. The truth was that the Mafia had found a way to get very rich. One of the few voices to sound out against the devastation was that of Pio La Torre. But for now, he was more of a nuisance than a threat. Especially when you had the Catholic Church, with Cardinal Ernesto Ruffini, chiming in to claim that all was being done for the good of the poor citizens and that the Mafia was just an invention of the communists to harm the image of the Christian Democrats in power. The end of the 60s saw Pio La Torre rise in the ranks, passing to the regional assembly and becoming head of one of the main trade unions and the regional secretary of the Sicilian Communist Party. In 1969, he was noticed in Rome and called there to be part of the Party Commission for Agriculture and for the South. Then, in 1972, he was elected to the National Parliament for the first time. He became a member of various commissions, but perhaps more importantly, due to his in-depth knowledge of the Mafia, he became part of the Anti-Mafia Commission and worked to help the implementation of Anti-Mafia Law 575 of 1965, but also to introduce a new article in the Penal Code, the 416 Beast. This was a groundbreaking law. It prohibited those associated with the Mafia from holding public office. And most of all, it hit the Mafia where it really hurt, setting out the compulsory seizure of assets deriving from Mafia-related activities. It also, very importantly, established the crime of Associazione Mafiosa, meaning that it was illegal to simply be a part of the organization. Once the tools had been created, Pio La Torre had no fear of naming names, such as his famous accusation of Vito Ciancimino, Councillor for Public Works in Palermo from 1959 to 1964 and later Mayor of the city until 1975. La Torre's analysis revealed continuous relations between the criminal organization and the state, relations sought by both sides. For Cosa Nostra, Pio La Torre was becoming something more than just a nuisance. The period between the end of the 70s and the start of the 80s is one of the most violent in the history of Palermo, with a war waging on two fronts. The first, inside the Sicilian Mafia, with the ruthless Corleone faction staging a takeover that would put men like Totorina, Luciano Liggio, and Bernardo Provenzano at the head of the organization. This struggle reached international levels, with the Gambino and Di Maggio families being targeted in the United States. The second front was that against journalists and the representatives of the state. In January of 1979, journalist Mario Francese was killed. In March, the provincial secretary of the Christian Democrats, Michele Reina. In July, a policeman, Boris Giuliano. In September, a magistrate, 
Cesare Terranova. 1980 opened with the killing of Piersanti Mattarella, the Sicilian regional governor, brother of the current president of the republic, as we record, Sergio Mattarella, whose arms he died in. In May, Emanuele Basile, another policeman. In August, Gaetano Costa, another magistrate. And so on. It is in this climate that Pio La Torre felt compelled to go back to Palermo in 1981. Almost immediately upon his return, he had a new battle to fight. The national government was in talks with NATO officials to install a nuclear missile installment in the Sicilian town of Comiso. La Torre helped to organize a protest march that saw possibly up to 100,000 people diverge on the town, combined with a petition which was immensely successful and ended up causing the Italian authorities to change their mind about the installation. It was likely that, had the plans gone through, it would have meant a lot of business for the Mafia. In the same period, La Torre started to turn his attention to his own political organization, starting a file on possible connections between the left-wing cooperatives and Cosa Nostra. This particular file would disappear shortly after his death. On the 30th of April, 1982, Pio La Torre and his friend and collaborator Rosario Di Salvo headed to party headquarters in Via Turba. When they arrived, two high-powered motorcycles drew up on either side of their car and started to riddle them with bullets. La Torre was killed instantly. Di Salvo had time to grab his own handgun and get five shots off before he too was killed. Twenty-five years later, on the 12th of January 2007, the appeals court in Palermo issued the last of a series of verdicts which incriminated Giuseppe Lucchese, Nino Mannia, Salvatore Cucuzza and Pino Greco for the killings. The collaboration of Cucuzza also allowed the identifications of those who had ordered the killings, Bernardo Provenzano, Pippo Calò, Bernardo Brusca, Antonio Geraci, and of course, the boss of bosses, Salvatore Riina. The foundation created in his name, Pio La Torre Center for Studies and Cultural Activities, has just commemorated the 40th anniversary of his killing. His wife, Giuseppina Sacco, who passed on in 2009, was for many years a prominent member of the Libera Association, who used lands confiscated from the Mafia for agricultural and educational projects, thanks also to the law that her husband had worked so hard to get passed. When he was asked after the killing in 1982 why the Mafia had wanted to kill the communist leader, General Carlo Alberto Dalla Chiesa, chief of police, himself with just a few months left to live, had answered, for a whole life. Thank you for listening to this episode. 
Remember that although the Mafia in its various forms, for example the Calabrian Andrangheta is alive and well and very powerful, they are not invincible and you too can do your part. For example, by supporting the Libera Association or buying their products from the lands liberated from the Mafia. You could also, for example, look up the work of Italian journalist Anna Sergi, currently researching in the United Kingdom. Remember you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com This is an episode of A History of Italy podcast of the Anti-Mafia Martyr series to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the death of Pio La Torre on the 30th of April 1982. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, fanculo alla mafia. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.